Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Good evening everyone, welcome to Pick a Flick. I'm Dave Bond from Do You Expect Us to Talk for all your home James Bond retrospective requirements. With me tonight, Elton McManus. Elton, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the podcast you're involved with. Hello, um, I'm from, what am I from? I'm from the Black Dog Podcast, which is a, a film review podcast, kind of like a, a, a film book review type Hold hands and grab uh, uh, and Shonky Lab, which is myself hosted in, which is a, a call-in topic-based show, and Grand Prix podcast as well. Excellent, and and also with me tonight, Matthew Lamborn. I believe you're part of the Fail Critics podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the stuff you sort of do on the internet. Hello, Dave. Yeah, um, I'm a regular contributor at Fell Critics, both in regards to the podcast and writing for their website, and they sort of gave me my start in internet podcasting about three years or so ago. Um, I'm involved in a, a bunch of other projects, but uh, perhaps uh, most prolific on, on Fell Critics, certainly most relevant to, to this show, so this should be a lot of fun. Okay, excellent. So, without further ado, let's pick a flick. is a 1979 British-American science fiction horror film directed by Ridley Scott and starring Tom Skerritt, Sigourney Weaver, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, Ian Holm and Yafit Koto. The film's title refers to a highly aggressive extraterrestrial creature that stalks and kills the crew of a spaceship. Dan O'Bannon wrote the screenplay from a story he wrote with uh, Ronald Shusett, drawing influence from previous works of science fiction and horror. The film was produced by Gordon Carroll, David Gieler and Walter Hill through their Brandywine Productions and distributed by 20th Century Fox. Gieler and Hill made revisions and additions to the script. Shusett was executive producer. 
The eponymous alien and its accompanying elements were designed by Swiss surrealist artist H.R. Giger, while concept artists Ron Cobb and Chris Voss designed the human aspects of the film. Alien launched the Alien franchise and is chronologically the first of the main series, with the prequel series set in an earlier time frame. Could kill him. I'm willing to take that chance. Let's cut it off now. You take the responsibility? Yes, yes, I'll take the responsibility now. Get him out of here. Where do you want to do this? I'm making a decision just below the knuckle there. Right here. Stand by. That craft can eat through the hole. That thing's gonna eat through the goddamn hole. Come on! What's going on? This way. Next deck. defense mechanism. You don't dare kill it. What about Kane? Now, I don't know about you guys, but Alien's kind of a special film for me. It's it, it's very interesting in that it... Everything, was, everything sci-fi was about Star Wars after 1977. So I kind of think Alien's kind of an important film. But it's also kind of... The, the preeminent sort of haunted house film almost that I can think of in recent years uh, Elton we'll start with you can you tell me a little bit about well, I guess the Alien franchise it, it, more broadly but also your um, exposure to this film okay well uh, with Alien it wasn't the first Alien movie I saw I was actually introduced to it uh, through Aliens and I saw that with my mother uh, one night when my dad was out and it scared the bejesus out of me, which was wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Sorry to interrupt, but how old were you just oh, out of how interest? How old would I be? Oh, maybe 11. Ah, that's really interesting because I was exactly the same age and I saw Aliens first. Sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then it took me a little while to dive back into Alien because I'd heard it was slow. Some people had said it was boring. And I was worried about damaging the franchise or whatever I had in my hands. I just didn't want to damage Aliens because I loved it so much. It's kind of like finding a 
a, a nice CD that you really, really adore, and then not wanting to go back in the back catalogue just in case it's a, a load of pony. And so it took me a little while to go back into Alien. Once I did, I, I don't know what it was. I just It just drew me in and just pulled me in, and it was just so important to me. I then started drawing Aliens all the time. I had a, a little sketchbook. I uh, like A4 pieces of paper in my pocket walking around school. And whenever I got three, five minutes, I would sketch something. It was just just ingrained in me from that, that moment on. And yeah, I, I guess that was my first introduction to Alien. Once I'd seen the, the two together, I just couldn't stop watching them. I found it so addictive to watch because I wanted to see more, I wanted to learn more, I wanted to think about it more as well. Do you think that, um, it it seems from what you've just said that the designs were a large part of that. If if the alien in this film had been anything else, do you think the film would have had the same effect on you? No, I think if it had been, let's say like The Fly or The Fly 2, and that's just a a B-horror movie monster, if it had been that sort of route where it was clearly an insect and it was just a big overgrown insect with boggly eyes and antennae, and then it would have been fun to watch, but it, I don't think it would have... There's something about it that digs into the into your mind, into your soul, that, hang on, this is a very alien creature, and you haven't seen anything like this. You You see the mannerisms on it in many different things throughout the world, but... You haven't seen anything like this, and that kind of tortures you and also makes you intrigued. Certainly for me, the design and even the sort of, uh, I mean, they used sort of KY jelly, didn't they, around the sort of, um, you know, the part of the alien that sort of stabs through through the crew and so on. Certainly for me, that was, the design was a large part of it. Matt, what, what was your, uh, what was your first sort of experience with both this film and also the alien franchise as a whole? Yeah, my experience is quite similar to Elton's. And I think I'm a little bit younger than you guys. I'm in my early 30s. And so um, I would have been far too young to have seen Alien the first time around and got my introduction to the franchise via Aliens. And that would be one of my higher rated sort of 80s action sci-fi movies. I think it's absolutely fantastic. Um, so I'm having to look at Alien in more of a retrospect, having gone into the more action-packed part of the series first. So it doesn't quite have that resonance with me that it probably does as people who saw Alien first. But that said, it is a, a, a great film in its own right, and it's far more uh, gritty um, than Aliens in regards to... Be- it's the the crew that they have this inner conflict amongst themselves and they're, they're up against one xenomorph in this, but the, the struggle seems so much more severe than it does in Aliens because via use of technology and warfare, they actually have a little bit of a chance in that, whereas in Alien, the odds are pretty much stacked against them as they have no idea what they're dealing with and the movie ramps up the tension to palpable degrees so two very different experiences both equally enjoyable for different reasons um but yeah i came in second so so i would compare it to say perhaps watching a quentin tarantino movie but not having seen reservoir dogs first and then trying to go back to that it might spoil your opinion on what is typically regarded as the best one and it might seem a bit prosaic i guess as well matt mightn't it that if, if you'd watched uh, i don't know Pick any film, any Quentin Tarantino film you like. You go back to uh, Reservoir Dogs, and it's 
shorter, talkier, based in one location, far less around visuals in any way. And it's very difficult to get your mindset back into this is smaller and it's lower budget. The, the thing with Alien for me is I've always preferred it from the two. I'm going to talk actually more about Aliens when we come on to our second flick in a while because I think there's more parallels. But certainly I felt that the Alien crew of all of these types and more than any other film of its type than perhaps maybe The Thing presented this as a crew of real people. And... Uh, the concerns of the crew were about pay, about status, and it was like a bunch of truck drivers in space. They weren't there to fight. They were miners. Yeah, it does certainly add a, a degree of uh, believability to the whole premise, doesn't it, that um, this could be you or, or anyone you know on this ship, and they're basically just trying to get home to get their big payday, aren't they? And then they're sent on this... Massive diversion, which none of them seem to want to do, apart from uh, Ash and, and Dallas, who seem duty-bound to do so, and the rest of them really aren't interested. I also feel the uh, film makes you feel part of the crew as well, the way that it introduces you to to the ship, where it's, it's pretty much empty, and you're going around uh, empty corridors, and you're thinking... Yeah, this is not the Enterprise, is it, Matt? Uh, no, it's it's more Red Dwarf, but without the laughs, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, the amount of... Sp- real estate that they're having to deal with in regards to the ship and it sort of adds to the foreboding sense of loneliness in there even though they they do have company uh, it's not enough to to make them feel uh, welcome or or comfortable at any point and that's one thing about this movie it does ramp up a degree of severe discomfort throughout Elton you, you kind of um, alluded to this in in your sort of introduction on on your experiences with the film and we talked about you know the, the alien itself but the whole design of this film creates this sort of look and the lineage of it carries through the rest of the series. The look of Alien is something rather special, isn't it? Yeah, you have a uh, totally different aspects where you have Giga designing the Alien and other stuff that goes along with the, the organism and its life cycle. You also have another set of uh, people working on the Nostromo and... Uh, the escape ship as well and if if you had the same person working on the same uh, both aspects i don't think you have such a dramatic juxtaposition between the two which you need because it is such an uh, an alien concept to go down and see something so different to what you're actually riding on i, I certainly think when i look at this film that uh, it, it, it isn't so much the complacency but it's kind of the fact that they are not basically they're killing time until they get to where they're going and when they get to where they're going they've got a very set list of things to do and in some respects you kind of feel that it isn't complacency it's the fact that they're in a certain place that they don't have to do very much until they get there it's a skeleton crew they just sit on the ship until they're ready to do whatever it is they have to do and that kind of makes them right pickings. Yeah, it does. Um, the film does a really good job of actually displaying that space is still hard. You know, when they get down to the planet, it's it's really hard to get down there. Stuff breaks, and they have to repair it as well. And it, it's just 
I I get what you're saying about the skeleton crew. Yeah, they they just go off mining. You can imagine Google doing it nowadays. Just go off mining, and then the computers take over, and they they're just there overseeing the operations, making sure all the valves are turned in the correct uh, way, and they have got time to discuss and moan about pay and structure and where they sit in the scheme of things. But it is so real. The atmosphere is so real that you get from that. I get it. It, I can relate to it from work. I think the normal Joe going to see this movie can relate to that as well. They've sat in a cafe and heard people bickering, moaning, and talking over each other, which is what you get from this. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I certainly found that, I mean, it's interesting to talk about it more widely, that, you know, we'd had a, the, the 70s is full of sort of sci-fi films with everyone either dressed in brilliant white or kind of like silvery stuff. It's not relatable to the world we live in. Then you get Star Wars that comes along, and okay, there's kind of a used future feel to it, in that like the Millennium Falcon's a bit bashed up. But at the same time, it's pure fantasy. To actually see sci-fi come along that has this real sort of truck driver feel to it was really, really interesting to me, and I thought it was very interesting to the series as a whole. I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah, sort of adds that that layer of of believability, doesn't it? And that this is a, a continuation of of everyday life that we're experiencing. Just many hundreds of years down the line, they're just all wearing normal clothes. They they talk like normal people, uh, and they have real world issues at, at heart of their motivation. So it does allow the audience, even if they're not die-hard sci-fi fans to instantly relate to these characters or at least one or two of them even if not all of them you have your corporate uh, do-gooders like dallas who's just following the chain of command and then you've got the other members of the crew who are strictly money orientated and want to get paid for anything and everything that they do on top of their uh, established mission if you like and then ripley's a sort of in between trying to hold order not trying to upset anyone, but still trying to follow the book. So there's there's definitely characters in there that everyone can sort of grasp hold of and identify with, which I think is really important. Absolutely. What do we think of the fact that... I, I, I've kind of almost forgotten that in talking about this. Ripley. Ripley was originally written as a male character. Now, of course, in the end film, it, 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 it ends up being sort of an iconic role for um, Sigourney Weaver. Do we think that kind of changes the end result? Is the fact that Ripley's female uh, material to the end result? I personally don't think so. I feel all the the characters... Would this have been the same film with uh, Edward Ripley? Yeah, it would have been. I, I, I do believe it would have been. I think every every person on this ship is interchangeable. Every with every sex, every nationality, everything. Um, I, I think it helps that Ripley is the uh, uh, female protagonist. I think it helps the movie and its legacy. But I think people wouldn't been surprised. I think Fox actually went for the female protagonist because of, of that. They just wanted that. Uh, but I, if it had come out in 1979 as a, a male. Uh, hero then i don't think people would have batted an eyelid it, it's very interesting I, I i do think it's i i do wonder about hindsight versus the time itself because at the time you might actually be right 
But I look at it now and think, does this film stand out because we've got a very relatable crew, a female lead in an era where we didn't get that? That's very interesting. Matthew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Elson in, in regards to that. I think um, you could swap out uh, the Ripley character as a male or any of the other members of the crew, perhaps with exception of Veronica Cartwright, who is blatantly there to be the sort of meek and weak uh, weak link of the bunch. And it's her sort of frailty that ends up getting the crew in trouble to a certain degree. And I think she's the only character that you can't change. She's deliberately there to be the weak link. Damsel in distress. And it wouldn't work as a male in that respect. Everyone else could be uh, a different sex. It wouldn't make any difference, including Ripley. I guess the last thing I want to say about this film is um, one of the things that um, I, I, I looked at when I was watching the special features to this is that um, John Hurt was, was not the original choice for this. He was originally uh, cast as a, a, a sort of much more muscle-bound sort of military type. Do we think that casting, forget the gender for a minute, but do we think casting has had an effect on the lasting um, appeal of this film. I'm glad that they didn't go for a a military-type personnel for the ship, purely because, again, it gets away from that uh, believability, the relatability to them being everyday people. Um, And when you you put in these these sci-fi situations and you're looking for the suspension of disbelief, aren't you? And you, you throw in these military people who you kind of expect to come to harm or at least face danger more head on. Um, the fact that it's John Hurt, a very normal guy who is, I guess you could say for lack of a better word, susceptible to something bad going on much more so than uh, a trained uh, military personnel. I think, that makes his um, succumbing to um, the parasite and then his eventual death that much more shocking uh, and has a a far greater effect on the audience for that reason. I I certainly think that, uh, for me, a lot of the appeal of this film and some of what we'll talk about when we get to our next flick in a minute is that this is a very vulnerable crew because they're so everyday people. You know, if you put us in space up against some, like, you know, massive killing machine, the chances are we wouldn't come off too well. When you stick military people in that, you might expect a little bit more of a result. So I I always found that interesting about this film, you know, that you look at a Star Wars, and the protagonist, Luke Skywalker, at least has some ability with the Force. With this, you have basically a group of, uh, you know, blue-collar workers in space who are not remotely set up to, like, deal with this and I think that makes the film extremely interesting I think before I move on I would just like to ask you guys where this sits not just with Aliens but within the franchise as a whole Elton when I first came to this uh, series Aliens was my absolute favourite because of the explosions and lots of um, military guys there lots of guns lots of aliens but as the years have progressed uh, and it, it it took maybe about 10 years for me to actually realise this is a, a much, much better film. I think Aliens is a good standalone movie, but this it has its heart. It wears its heart on its sleeve. It also it does everything right. It doesn't show you the alien too much. 
it makes you feel claustrophobic. Elton, can you just... Sorry to interrupt. Can you just explain that comment? I'm, I'm interested when you say it wears its heart on its sleeve. Could you could you expand on that a little for uh, us? Well, with with Aliens, it, it's it's so over the top. And yet this is a... It's a horror movie, but it... it the crew, once, you're, once you, you have the alien on board, the crew are always talking about the alien. It is about the alien. This story isn't about Ripley yet. It is about the alien. And every conversation they have is about the alien. It's not about pay anymore. It's not about their structure anymore. It's not about their cargo. It's about alien. It's about what they're going to do. And that way, it's, it's so in your face. Matthew, what do you, what do you feel about, about that? Yeah, I think in, in regards to the series as a whole, for me, it slots in as the number two, but by far the number two of the series. Um, Alien 3 was, was decent, Resurrections, a bit of a joke. Uh, Aliens is the most entertaining of the series for me, but I must admit, I do find dipping into Alien much more interesting now, having seen Prometheus interesting enough. I think it adds a bit more revenance to... Uh, sort of adds revenance to it because of what you learn from Prometheus in regards to um, the species that has brought life to Earth and is that or the creators, I think they're called, aren't they? And then, of course, through the beginning of Alien, you, you see the alien spacecraft and the space jockey's corpse has died because a chest burst has uh, ended up killing him. And you can then link that back to something, whereas... When you see it for the first time, it's it's almost a sort of a, a gimme. It's it's there to kind of set up the fact that something bad's already happened before our crew's gotten there. Whereas now Prometheus has come out, and you can actually link that back to something very severe that's already happened prior to this movie. So obviously you wouldn't know that having seen it for the first time, but now we have this prequel series uh, that's sort of set in stone and, and becoming vaguely part of the canon, I think it makes it a lot more interesting, especially for me having seen Alien second to Aliens. It, it makes the whole thing much more appealing in that respect. Okay, well, that's Alien. Um, it, it's a really interesting. I mean, when we talk about the franchise as a whole, obviously we're about to uh, talk about a, a different film, which we'll get to in a moment. And uh, that's got a lot more in common with the sequel to this. But it's a very interesting, as we get through our two films tonight, it's very interesting to talk about uh, how it compares, what it tells you about um, 80s filmmaking and the way things developed. Um, So with that, we're going to move on to our second flick. So when you're ready, guys, let's pick a flick. Predator is a 1987 American science fiction action horror film directed by John McTiernan. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as the leader of an elite special forces team who are on a mission to rescue hostages from guerrilla territory in Central America. Kevin Peter Horse co-stars as the titular antagonist, a technologically advanced form of extraterrestrial life, secretly stalking and hunting the group. Predator was written by Jim and John Thomas in 1985, under the working title Hunter. Filming began in April 1986, and the Keetra effects were despised by Stan Winston. Don't 
Rendezvous points and radio freaks are indicated and fixed. AWACS contact on four-hour intervals. Who's our backup? No such thing, old buddy. This is a one-way ticket. Once we cross that border, we're on our own. <laughs> this is getting better than a minute. Bill Speaky died. Everything that Uncle John need, old baby. Yeah, baby. Sexual Tyrannosaurus, just like me. Yeah, strep this on your sore ass plane. <laughs> that was in '72, north of way. Me and Dutch both got one. Now the reason I keep referring to the pre, uh, to the sequel to Alien is that I think this has got an awful lot more in common with Aliens. Firstly, there is the military aspect that this is a group of military men fighting an unknown sort of horror, and I think secondly, and I sort of arrived at the this theory a little bit earlier tonight that if you want to understand 1980s. Um, action films and how they evolved. The- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Best thing to do is look at Sylvester Stallone's body. Because if you go from Rocky II in 1979 through to Rambo in 1985, and similarly with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Commando in 86 and 87, I kind of think this decade got more macho as it went along. And it's very interesting that this, to me, is the apex of one type of filmmaking. And the following year, the very, the very same director ushers in a very different era with Die Hard, where you've got the everyman action hero. What are your thoughts on, um, on Predator? Um, let's start with you, Matthew. Uh, it's one of my favourite ever action films. Um, I'm a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, and I suspect Tony invited me on to, to the show specifically to talk about Predator, because he knows I'm a big fan of the film. But um, for me, it's the ultimate uh, man movie if you like, um, very different to Alien in respect, as you say, it has a, a much more uh, military basing. And what separates Aliens and Predator from something like the original Alien movie is it's all about bravado. Because again, the Predator doesn't feature terribly uh, a great deal until right at the end. It, you see it fleetingly or occasionally you get the, the sort of first person view from the alien, uh, sorry, the predator throughout the movie. But the rest of it's all about the bravado between um, Dutch's crew. And um, I would relate it to the phenomenon how people really like the first half an hour of something like Full Metal Jacket. They like the way that these men talk to each other and the uh, se setting of the established order of who is the alpha out of this crew and where everyone else sort of fits in around that. And I think the average male viewer really digs that for some reason. I can't quite put my finger on as to why, but it does seem to be very mainstream appealing. And then, of course, you have the whole gun-toting action element, which is very entertaining in, it, in its own respect, but has great use of music. Al, Alan Silvestri's soundtrack to this is, is absolutely superb and, and very iconic in itself. But it really is that dialogue between men that really makes this appeal to the masses, I think. I had a very different view on this film, just because uh, I think I came to it a little later. Um, you look at Alien and Aliens... You know, I was in early double digits, you know, 10, 11, 12, whenever. Predator came along a little later too, and it, and it seemed like some of the worst excesses of 80s filmmaking for me. Firstly, certainly from sort of 85 to 87, I mean, go back and watch something like Rocky IV, and, and I don't mean the whole film, I mean literally where Rocky and Drago are walking across the ring to each other. It's like two action figures. They're, they're completely clenched, all their like, muscles. Everything was about look and image. And then you've got um, Rambo 2, which he's absurdly ripped for, and you've got Commando and this film. And you, you, you introduce to Dutch, and he meets Dylan, and the first thing they do is slap hands together. He calls him a son of a bitch, and they arm wrestle a bit. I, I just found this at the apex of a certain type of filmmaking. And 
it's one of the problems I, I mentioned aliens it's one of the problems I've got with aliens and even James Cameron kind of admits to this now because his brother was a uh, was a marine and to this day he regrets the way he portrayed the soldiers in that film because he made them look like a bunch of fucking idiots whereas actually they're all business when they go for it and I think that's my problem with this film I don't really relate to any of the characters as much as there's an interesting creature design and it's quite tense. Elton, what's your thoughts on on, uh, on uh, Predator? Well, all the characters are um, alpha males, aren't they? And it is a a battle to become the alpha male. Uh, I feel that this this film just oozes testosterone all the time to the point where you have to get a squeegee and just wipe it off your TV because it is just covered in it. Is that a good? Is that a good or a bad thing? Though, I think Elton? in the eighties. It was a great thing. Everyone wanted to be uh, Schwarzenegger. Everyone wanted to be Carl Weathers. Everyone wanted to have these muscles. It was a sign of the times. It was, you know, drink Pepsi and have muscles because Pepsi gives you muscles. And it it was just a sign of the time. I think nowadays you don't get that. I think uh, the the director, um, John McDiarmid, he, he saw that. And that's why you got Die Hard because he was it was so overblown and over the top almost comic strip but it still has a, a great air of uh, I, it's got a great air about it this movie it, it is full of bravado and muscles and guns and everything but you know that's the first half of the movie and then you get into the one on one towards the very end and I, I think it is a cracking movie. I absolutely adore it. So you talk about the second half of the film. Is there something about the sort of one-on-one aspect of it that, that does a bit more for you? Uh, well, I think it's more... Once the Predator becomes known and it's around and it's kicking around and you can you can see it, the background becomes more apparent to you. The, the film uses the scenery in a really good way. You're... There's big wide shots, and then all of a sudden you're looking at the scenery, you're looking at the foliage, you're looking at the trees, because it is a character almost in itself, because you know that this thing blends in, and yet it could be anywhere. And you're thinking, hang on, it could be up that tree. And you're you're always, even though you know that there's nothing there, on rewatches, you're still looking at the trees. And so that, you're almost... you. You catch yourself doing it. You don't know that you're going to be doing it. But then all of a sudden you're looking into the trees and you didn't know you was doing that in the beginning. So I think it's after looking at all the muscles and the bullets and all the one-liners, then it's a nice, it's almost a tale of two halves once you get into the, um, once they're on the run from the Predator. It's an interesting way to look at it. I mean, I guess I think where I'd like to go with this is this is a year after James Cameron's Aliens, and I think the films have a greater degree of similarity to this and Alien, in that they are both hidden menace. You've got Gatling guns as well, firing themselves sort of empty, trying to down this thing, and a group of military men who are keen to sort of show each other uh, how hard they are. And also there's a degree of... Um, uh, it's a little bit surreptitious why they're there. In the in Aliens, they're there to kill it, and you actually find out, no, they're not. They're there to bring it back as a host. Similarly, with this film, Carl Weathers' character, Dylan, lies about why they're there and how they ended up being there. 
So I think these films are a, a, a kind of similar. How would you rate sort of Aliens against this film? Mm, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, again, you do have the bravado between uh, both military crews. Um, the first half is generally a, a display of their proficiency in, in what they do militarily speaking. And then the second half is about their vulnerability um, battling against the odds trying to survive and there is of course uh, a couple of links between both franchises in regards to a couple of the actors in both Lance uh, Henriksen in, in Aliens and does appear in the Predator franchise later on and Bill Paxton they're both two actors uh, the only two actors as far as I'm aware that have been killed by a Terminator an alien and a Predator in, in movie canon which is kind of interesting how they're sort of cohesively linked in, in that respect but there's definitely parallels between the two um, and both films also have uh, these purely uh, these figures that are there purely for vulnerability so in Aliens you have Newt and the crew are all there to sort of protect her because she it can't be a combatant in it. And you have the same with Anna in, in Predator, who is the, the anchor who's sort of slowing them down and making them more vulnerable. So definitely very similar in that respect. The, the main difference is, of course, the scene in which this is set, whereas Predator is wide open space, but condensed by uh, bush and whatnot, which, as Elton pointed out, almost makes it a character in itself in alien it's more uh, sorry in aliens it's more claustrophobic and they're they're rooting through tunnels they're trying to lock themselves down in small spaces for safety so it's very different in that respect but the films do tend to be quite similar in their overall theme yeah i think i would probably agree with that it's uh it's very interesting. I mean, I, I, this is a little off topic, but um, I, I have to admit I haven't seen Predator 2. What can you guys tell me about that film? It's quite a controversial one because I think people who are massive fans of Predator would probably look down upon uh, Predator 2 purely because it doesn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. And that, to some people, automatically makes it inferior. But I actually really like Predator 2. And it takes the basis of the movie out of the jungle and puts it into a modern uh, urban environment, which is a is a massive game changer. Um, the, the type of action and the threat the Predator poses is very different in that environment. Um, it's totally subjective whether you think one is better than the other. But Predator 2 is actually quite vital in linking that franchise to the Alien franchise because there's a scene... Uh, without spoiling it too much uh, for you, <laughs> at the end of Predator 2, whereby there's a showdown between um, our main antagonist, which is um, a protagonist, I beg your pardon, played by Danny Glover, who essentially plays the Dutch character in Predator 2. He has a showdown with um, several Predators at the end of that movie, and they have what, what looks to be like a trophy cabinet in their spaceship, where yeah. it has a bunch of skulls of different species that they've uh, beaten or killed over time, including the skull of a xenomorph from aliens in there. And that is the first correlation between the two uh, different franchises that's made on film. So it's quite vital in that respect to, to linking these two together. Yeah, very interesting. I've only, uh, as I say, we'll, we'll get on to um, uh, team-ups in just a moment. Um, 
But yeah, in terms of Predator, it's it's a film I've seen a couple of times over the years. Never quite got the appeal. Really kind of interested to see what you guys think of it. I, I kind of think it's uh, it is it is a similar sort of appeal to the Thing or the Alien franchise, but it does go down the sort of action and it, uh, aisle a little bit more. And it's kind of a little bit more cliched in terms of its dialogue and it and everything than both of those. But yeah, very interesting to talk about it tonight. That was our second pick flick. So moving on from there, obviously we've we've talked about the Alien franchise. We're talking about uh, <laughs> we're talking about the Predator franchise. Obviously, they have teamed up in the past, and, and whilst that's not going to be a major topic tonight, uh, I will just ask, have you seen the Alien Predator team-up films? Yes, and they're pretty awful. Thoughts, gentlemen? Uh, start with you, Matthew. They're massively disappointing. Um, if we start with the first one, uh, the one thing that that particular movie gets right, the first AVP, is that it has a really great Genesis story in there which is um that the predators use humans as a, a an alien weapon to sort of cleanse the earth originally uh, and it kind of sets up why the whole thing even exists quite well what it does wrong is that it trivializes the involvement of humans in it almost entirely and if you've seen uh, let's say, for instance, Batman v Superman recently, where basically the, you've got two and a half hours of kerfuffle just to try and get to the Batman v Superman showdown. And if you go and see AVP, you want to see aliens and predators fighting, but you can't make a two-hour movie out of that. So they've got to fill it full of guff long enough to get a, a full feature-length movie out of it just so you can get about ten minutes' worth of action between the two. And ultimately, it's quite disappointing. And... What you really want to see is something more akin to either Aliens or Predator, whereby it has that bravado, that machismo on top of the action. So when bullets and lasers and stuff aren't flying, you're actually enjoying the dialogue in between them. There's nothing like that in any of the AVP films. The characters are mundane, the dialogue's poor, the acting's bad, and the action ultimately isn't satisfying enough for them to, to hold up. So... They're pretty, pretty bad overall, in my opinion. There's not a lot of positives to take from it. Absolutely. Elton, what are your thoughts for our way in? Okay, I've seen both of them, and I I don't like either of them. They they do a lot wrong. They're pretty much Predator movies with a a co-host of Alien thrown in on there, which is not what you go to see. The the problem with going to see an Alien versus Predator movie is... Neither of them speak English, as far as we know, or a- any language that we can interpret straight off the bat. Yeah, until they burst out of Stephen Fry. Yeah, or exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> but they they do so many things wrong. They the the gestation period is a massive thing for me, where where you take the the essence. It is in, it is an alien predator requiem. I, I think it's instant. It is pretty much. It's not that long in Aliens versus Predator either. They try to recreate so many scenes in in the first one. They use a a, a pyramid and have tight 
almost claustrophobic uh, corridors. They're trying to recreate the, um, the the tunnel scenes that Dallas went down in in Alien, and it just doesn't work. It, th- there's so many flat actors in there. It just you just feel conned. It doesn't work for me at all. The only redeeming aspect of that is the CGI queen at the end of Aliens vs Predator. That was cracking. That worked really well, and that almost redeemed it, but all the stuff and the guff and the flotsam and jetsam that came before that doesn't work. No, it no, not for me. What do you think of the uh, the pred alien? Uh, oh, I hated it. Absolutely hated it. The, <laughs> it was it was really bad. The, the problem it? with that, right? Um, <laughs> alien Three, although it is one of, it's almost on par with uh, the other two for me. Uh, I I love that film so, so much. And it did a a great job of producing uh, the alien, which had the hind legs of a dog, and it ran like a dog, and it had mannerisms of the dog. And so they've they've taken that, and they see that as canon. And putting it into a predator, and then half a predator, half alien coming out, it just, no, you've gone down the wrong road. Now you're making B-monster movies. For, For all intents and purposes, a lot of people quite like the design of the Predalien. I I do not like it. I do not like the way it works. I think when it, it goes into the hospital and does what it does there, it's just gore and grotesque stuff for the sake of it. That is not what aliens or a, the alien species is about. Predator, yes, you've got the bravado, but we don't want that from the alien. That's the thing. The creature is so different in Alien compared to all the other movies. I think that's kind of where I'm coming from with it. That I, I tend to think that Predalien, I, I did like the design of it, but it was clearly designed more for a publicity photo ahead of the film's release than anything else. And I also think Predator, by nature of its first film, versus the Alien franchise's first film is much more designed with bloodthirst and kind of action in mind. came out in 1987. We're talking around the era of Robocop, one of the most bloodthirsty eras in mainstream film history. Alien, by contrast, is kind of a haunted house film. In terms of the films we got, I thought Alien vs. Predator was very, very PG-13. I thought it was very safe, very easy... Therefore, I didn't have a problem with it in that I just took it as a little curio separate from the main franchise. Alien vs. Predators I had a much bigger problem with because it was 18 or R-rated. The gestation period was ridiculous. And also, whilst I'm not a filmmaker myself, it was one of the few films I've ever watched where you could pause at any point and the camera's in the wrong place. It's, it is totally, totally incompetently made. But I guess that, that moves on to actually what we're actually here to talk about in terms of Alien versus Predator. Let's imagine those films hadn't happened. Oh, thank goodness. Well, there you go. That's it. Good night, everyone. We're all much happier. <laughs> uh, these films hadn't happened. We've got to do some kind of team-up between these two. I think I'll put my cards on the table and, and say I don't think they're particularly well designed to be together. Yes, there are some similarities between certainly Aliens and Predator, just as there are between Alien and The Thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean they, they need to go together. But given there's some public thirst and we've got 
video games on it and everything else that little teaser in Predator 2 Matthew you've got to design an Alien vs Predator film what would it be and what how would it be different from what we got it's it's very difficult to make this work for the reasons that you just said um you need to take the terror the suspense the psychological horror out of Alien and then combine that with the machismo of Predator and ultimately what people really like about that first movie is the dialogue between the male uh, cast in that. So how do you get those two together? So I had to think about how I would try and execute this and I think I would go for something more akin from one of the video games which would be if we start off with a basic sort of aliens premise whereby we have uh, a human crew, let's say they're they landing on a planet for the first time, they're going to be terraforming or something like that. They bump into the alien species, shit starts going horribly wrong, and they make a sort of SOS distress call back to Earth or another planet, and that is then intercepted by the predators. They know that there is a species worthy of their competition on that planet, and they go there to try and stir shit up. And then you have to try and combine all those elements to make it action-packed yet interesting when action isn't going on. And if you can include the humans in that without them playing too much of a part in the actual action between predators and aliens, then you might have an interesting uh, story on your hands there. But um, if they're trying to make humans that are overly heroic and going to be saving predators' lives and they end up killing half the aliens, no, they should always be the victim in this triangle and the other two... Uh, need to be duking it out and then you're going to have one or two humans get away through the skin of their teeth uh, due to their cunning or, or tactics or, or just survival knowledge but um, it's I think like you say it's going to be incredibly difficult to pull them off uh, in a harmonious relationship because ultimately uh, there's only enough room on the screen for one of those species I think and getting them both on there equally without unbalancing things is very very difficult it's a little bit like Freddy versus Jason, isn't it? You know, it's either got to be a score draw or somebody's pissed off. Yeah, exactly. you know what I mean. Elton, your thoughts? Okay, well, I haven't had a thought about this. Um, I think with Aliens vs Predator, you need, you, it seems to need humans in the crossfire. Uh, the problem is at the moment it tends to be like a Godzilla movie where you have two massive beasts fighting each other and you it just doesn't work they they try to put a love story or something in there or someone needs to get home it, my story i suppose would be um from from the point of aliens have already intercepted earth they've taken over half the planet let's say but this is the creature from the first alien so you you have that that creature that wants to hibernate it wants to egg morph its victims and then turn them into an egg and then just wait because that's what I got from that first movie they're not creatures of war are they no they they tend they're more like a, a disease or a cancer throughout the the galaxy I suppose they a are parasite. there yeah they they sit there and then they wait they don't have to go off and find other hosts the hosts will come to them and so I feel all the stuff from maybe Wayland, they got one down and it infested the earth. Their America is destroyed. Sorry, Americans, you are destroyed. Uh, and so you have humans pretty much on one half of the planet, aliens on the other half of the planet. Predator comes down, 
messes stuff up, goes, it knows that the aliens are there, it wants to hunt, and so it starts hunting. You have pockets of uh, aliens and pockets of desert and wasteland, so you have room and scope for that. Uh, the thing is, because the Predator has come down and started trophy hunting with the aliens, it's stirring them up. And the humans are, are kind of coexisting on this planet because they're not touching or dealing with it. The, the humans now are kind of on the side of the alien trying to get rid of the thing that's stirring them up. And so you have a, a, a different take on it. Whereas we've always been against the alien, we are now trying to calm them down because we, we've we learned to live and live on the same planet with them. So we need the thing that's stirring them up to go. And I suppose you would need a, a kind of military aspect in there, but I think it would be a good way to go. It would be a nice little twist, or maybe not a Shyamalan and Ding Dong twist, but it would be a nice twist there to have the, the humans on the side of the alien instead of against them. I certainly tend to think that, for me, when I when I look at these two and, and what gets the best out of these creatures, I tend to think the Predator's at its best when it's just kind of training, practicing, sharpening its skills. And the alien is just about surviving. So I kind of think almost counterintuitively, you've kind of got to remove the plot from this. It's not about, well, Earth and they were cleansing. It's nothing to do with that. I would, it, it's all, it would almost be better if they kind of happened past each other by accident. I really do kind of think that. Well, that happened in the comics, didn't it? Yeah, I think, I think that is absolutely the way to go with it. But in, in the comics, the Predators were laying the eggs uh, for the humans to get impregnated and, or wildebeest to get impregnated, and then they had their battle. I don't know if that would work. It worked in the comics, but once again, trans transparent that to the, the silver screen, I don't know. It seems to me that basically the whole human involvement in AVP is purely to be a camera, to bear witness to what is going on, because people are only interested really in seeing aliens fighting predators, and that would get boring pretty quick if that's all we had. It would be over within minutes. You couldn't make two-hour movies out of that so we have to devise a part that ultimately is very dissatisfying just so we can have a human pair of eyes be the camera to see what's going on between these two uh, species which i don't think really works it's it's kind of a flawed concept as cool as it sounds in your head when you get it down on paper it just causes too many problems well look what they did in the, the first avp where you did have just an alien and a predator in the room and you ended up with um, WWF moves, and <laughs> yeah. people swinging aliens by their tail. Yeah, come on, it's it's so far removed from what we actually adore about these creatures. It's just it's it was comical. Well, yeah, um, yeah really, I I really don't know if I I tend to think this is a comic book idea kind of taken beyond what it was ever meant to be. Certainly, what we got was never very good. And I kind of think we've kind of proved that you can just sit and talk about it for a few minutes and come up with something a little bit better. Anyway, 
let's leave it there, folks. Uh, Alien versus Predator. Not for me, to be honest with you, but you can certainly come up with something a little bit better than we did. Anyway, before we go, Elton, uh, once again, pimp your shows. Tell us where we can find you on social media. Okay, right, my shows. Uh, Black Dog Podcast is at blackdog.geekplanetonline.com. It's a film review show. Uh, Shonky Lab, which you can find at shonkylab.com. Uh, that's a topic-based show for call-ins and uh, a nice little chat room there as well. And I'm on Twitter at Elton McManus. Excellent. Matt, tell us where we can find you. Okay, I'm on Twitter at Lambo Matt, and you can find my musings relating to movies at philcritics.com and on the Phil Critics podcast on iTunes. And if you do happen to play FIFA Ultimate Team, you can find our podcast at foothead.com. That's F-U-T-head.com. Excellent. I'm Dave Bond. You can find me at uh, the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. My podcast, You Expect Us to Talk, which is a film retrospective, but at the moment, and by its name, it's based around the James Bond franchise. You can find that at Expect Us to Talk or facebook.com forward slash Expect Us to Talk. This has been Pick a Flick. I've been Dave Bond. You pick a flick, we watch it. Simple as that. Good night, folks. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.